Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. So we're in this series, and uh, the series on the names of God, or at least some of the names of God, ways that God, through the names that he reveals to people in circumstances that they find themselves in, they learn something about God. And not only did they learn something about God, they learned something about how God relates to them in the moments that they're living through. God, as you look in scripture, he tends to confront people, but he also uh, meets people where they're at. So on the one hand, you have this balanced view of God, right? That God sees us and he sees our sin and he'll confront us in that. On the other hand, he'll see us in our despair and he wants to help us through that. So when you look in scripture, the names of God are trying to reveal something of the character of God. Going back into Genesis, you know, God creates and after he creates the the man and he creates uh, the land and he creates the sky and the water and he creates the animals and he looks at Adam and he gives Adam this job and it's to name the animals, give them a name. And the reason that he gives him that moment to give a name to the animal was because he had also given a specific charge over Adam, which was to exercise dominion over creation. Now, let me be very clear on what that means. That does not mean to abuse it. It means to exercise proper stewardship over it. He says, I'm going to let you name these things. Wendy and I have four daughters. We gave them names. Their names mean something. When you look at God, when he's revealing something, he tells you his name. He doesn't ask you what you think about him. God tells you who he is. And when he does that, he does that for a reason. And it's because you have all kind of mix of views on who God is. But as we saw when he revealed himself as Yahweh, or in the English you call that Jehovah, he says, I am the God who reveals myself to you. And he reveals himself to us so that we can know who he is in truth. I have friends that worship God in spirit, but they're lacking in the truth. We're supposed to do both. We're supposed to have a heart and affection that is directed up toward God, but it's actually connecting to who God is in the way that we worship God. We don't want to get him wrong, in other words, any more than you want people to get you wrong. You know, when people say things about you, falsely accuse you, in other words, they give you a name. And when they do that, they're basically trying to impose something on who you are. God doesn't ask us, what do you think my name is? God says, this is my name. And when he reveals it, he reveals something about himself so that we can know who he is and then we can walk forward in the confidence with what he's revealed to us. One of the names that God gives us, we find in Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 to 26. And so I'll invite you to turn there. Now, I'm gonna give you a little bit of backdrop on what's happening. It's this powerful moment in the life of Israel. The Israelites are leaving Egypt after over 400 years of being slaves. How many of you would think this is a good day? I mean, this is a good day. I mean, for 400 years, we've been displaced from our land. From over 400 years, we've been separated from our families. Not not all of them were in Israel. They were literally scattered everywhere. Uh, You had families that had not seen each other from generation to generation to generation. This is a good day. The Pharaoh who agreed finally to let them go, and that came with a little bit of, you know, a working back and forth, right? But the Pharaoh who finally agreed to let them go decided to chase them down to slaughter them. You may remember the story. So he leads his army 
to the traveling Israelites who are on their journey back home. So on the one hand, you think, finally, the Pharaoh has let us go. It's an awesome day. Then the Pharaoh says, you know, I can't do that. And so off he goes to pursue them. Now, they don't know that's coming, right? They think they're just on the journey to get back to where it is that God promised them to be. Now, here's the problem, because as the Pharaoh comes upon them, they're in a bad place. And I mean, physically, they're in a bad place. They can't go and fight the army uh, because, well, honestly, they're not an army. They're just nomadic folk. They're trying to get back home. They're trying to, for the stuff that they've got is what they've got, but what they don't have is two million soldiers around them, surrounding them and guarding them while they travel. They're just traveling. So that's a problem. Here comes an army and you're not an army. The other problem is, is that they can't go forward because they've made it to the Red Sea. So you look this way, you got an army coming on you. You look that way, you got a massive body of water. And I don't know about you, But if I'm standing there, I'm going to go, so what are our options? Well, they felt the same way. Well, the good news is, and some of you know the story, God makes a path for them. And he does it by splitting the water right in front of them. Here's the way that Exodus reads. It says, when the Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. That had to get their attention. I mean, would it have yours? Is that the kind of moment you think that you would forget? See, just yesterday, we were giving reflection to 9-11, the 20th anniversary of September 11th. Many of you could probably think exactly where you were at when you found out the planes were flying into the buildings. Am I right? How many of you can say, I can tell you exactly where I was at when I found out? Can I see those hands? I can too. I can too. Uh, I was actually still working my corporate job. I just walked up to one of the places I was going to be working for that day. I was standing outside the door and a guy walks up to me that was going to be working with me that day. And he says, have you heard the news? And I said, no, what happened? I can take you to the spot. And many of you are like, so can I. For those of you that were around for the uh, Kennedy assassination, Many of you can say, I can tell you exactly where I was at when I found out that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Call it a hunch, but I feel like this moment in the life of the Israelites is kind of one of those moments that they're not going to forget something like that. In fact, they could probably say, I can take you, if the water hadn't covered it back up, I could take you to the spot that I was standing on and even walking through because it has such an impact on their life, such an incredible work of God. And the way that they responded was exactly how you should have responded. It says, then Miriam, the prophet, or some of your translations will say the prophetess, then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. Did you notice what just happened? God just did something pretty incredible. Kind of, he worked in a way that it was obviously him at work and Miriam says, we gotta sing. In other words, Worship and praise breaks out exactly the way that it should have gone. Story sounds good, doesn't it? So far. It's not the end of the story. 
And that's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 26. It says, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood and he threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. Okay, stop for just a second. So they've just passed through a body of water and then they're led out into the wilderness. You know, don't need to be thinking like trees and everything everywhere. Literally kind of led out into the middle of nowhere. And if you look in verse 22, after being led through the water, they go where there is no water. Did you catch that? They've just gone from water to a place where there is no water. Now, once again, the Israelites find themselves in a place that is not the best place to be. So just on the other side of the water, they were not in the best place. There's an army behind me. There's water in front of me. I don't know what we're going to do. Now they're in the wilderness. There's no water. This isn't the best place to be. What are we going to do? The catch is this. You would think, well, why not just go another way? I mean, why not, why not just do that? And the answer is, is because the wilderness where they were going is the only way through Canaan to get back where they were trying to go. So they go through the Red Sea to the other side, out into the wilderness, because it's where they were supposed to be, to get them to where they were trying to go. Some of you, spiritually speaking, by the way, are in a very similar place. You feel like you're out in the wilderness, which is exactly where you're supposed to be, but it's the place where you need to be to get where you're trying to go. It's just you're not enjoying it a whole lot right now. You're not necessarily seeing the provision of God for you on your journey. In fact, you probably have some questions a lot like the people here as they were looking at Moses and going, where's the water? Because that was how they reacted. They're in the wilderness for three days and they don't have any aquafina. Tough times for the Israelites. And then they come to Mara. And this part I kind of think is a little bit funny because I'm not with them, all right? They come to Mara and there's water. And you go, yes, finally. But they find that the water is undrinkable. And that's that moment where you go, why do you mock me, right? You're just making fun of me now. And at first it looks like God, because at first it looks like God has supplied for their need. What do they need? Water. Here's some water. Can't drink it. Are you teasing us? Are you just messing with us? Why, why would you do, lead us around Mara for goodness sakes? And the answer is, no, actually you have to go through Mara. You have to. God had not, as it seems on the first hand, it, that had provided for their needs. Water is there, you just can't drink it. And so what was their response? Let's be fair, it's a lot like how most of us would respond. They didn't have this deeply spiritual moment, right? And say, you know what? God's in control of this. Uh, God's good. He knows we're thirsty. Uh, and so I'm not gonna worry about this. They reacted like most of us would react, probably me included, with griping. That was their reaction. They grumble and they complain. And they're not just doing it in their hearts, by the way, right? 
they go to Moses. And the reason that they're grumbling to him is who's the guy that's been given task when God revealed himself to Moses, I am Jehovah. And when you go to the Israelites and say, I'm going to deliver you from the Egyptians, why are they gonna listen to me, he said. Why would they care about me? And he said, you tell them I am sent you. He gave a name, right? So why are they going to Moses now to gripe and complain? Is because he was the guy that was portioned by God to lead them back to the promised land. They're going to the leader that was portioned by God. Their response to the leader wasn't great, but they went to the leader. Here's the thing. They have an obvious problem with no obvious solution. We're dehydrated and we can't drink the water. However, I want you to remember this. Only three days before, they had an obvious problem and no obvious solution. And that was only three days earlier. Is it fair to say that this is a forgetful bunch? You know, I didn't say, and 47 years later, I said, and three days later, they have an obvious problem and they're saying there's no obvious solution. They forget pretty fast. Question, don't we though? Hey, don't we? So I don't want to beat up on them too much. They were, on, they were on the road to their home, a land that they've been removed from for over 400 years. They've just finished giving God his praise and then they pivot to gripe. Very much like us. And what's worse is, what you see from their griping is they're bitter. They're upset. Any bitter people in here today? Raise those hands. I'm just kidding. Oh, actually somebody did. I was just kidding. <laughs> But now we know who you are and, uh, and we have it recorded. <laughs> Any better people here today? Maybe you look at some of your circumstances that you're in and instead of responding with confidence and trust, maybe you're responding a little bit like the Israelites here. Maybe. Maybe you're responding by going to somebody else and griping about it. Maybe. So why are they facing this problem? I think that's a fair question to ask. Because verses 25 and 26 actually told us, if you looked, Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became fit to drink. But there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them so that they could be put to a test. In other words, you have God putting them in a moment where they're squeezed a little bit. Now, none of us really enjoy those kinds of moments, but they were there for a test. And honestly, the water was only the instrument for the test. That's all that the water was. I mean, remember, they're in the wilderness because they're in the will of God. They're not in the wilderness because they're out of the will of God. It's the path for them getting home. See, in both the Old and the New Testament, the words that are translated test mean to prove something by a trial. That's what the word a test means. And therefore, when God tests his children, whether it's me or it's you, his purpose is to prove that our faith in him, where faith means you have confidence in him, you have trust in him, it is a moment where it is being tested to prove that our faith is real and not just something that we say. Not that God needs to prove it to himself, since God already knows all things, but he's proving to us that our faith is real, that we are truly his children, that no trial is going to overcome our faith or our confidence in him. That's what he's doing. Tests are also designed, designed to reveal something to you about God that you previously didn't know. So 
you're seeing something about yourself. You might be seeing the scale of the strength and maturity of your faith. And maybe you learned something about yourself. Like, I'm not as deep into this as I thought I was. I'm not as confident in God as I thought I was. Maybe you have that realization. But you also learn something about God, not just yourself. So in verse 25, Moses, it says Moses cried out to the Lord. That was a little bit of a different response than the crowd, right? The crowd is yapping at Moses. Moses is crying out to the Lord. And the Lord gave him a piece of wood to throw in the water and the water became drinkable. Now, that seems strange, doesn't it? But I wanna be fair on the front end of this, any miracle is going to seem strange. I mean, by definition, a miracle is going to arrest your attention. It isn't going to fit into the normal mold of what you're used to seeing in the world. It's gonna happen. If, if you look in scripture, uh, anytime there's a miracle, the words that are typically associated with it, it is a sign that brings wonder because it is a de demonstration of great power. You're just used to seeing the world work with an ebb and flow and then boom, something happens. And you go, what was that? That's the moment that they just had. What was undrinkable became drinkable. See, when I was in New Orleans and we were having to literally rip the church down after Katrina, everything had to come out of the thing. All, all that we had left in that church were uh, studs and bricks. That was it, everything else came out. And I remember we're meeting under a tent because that's all we had. If it's 105 degrees, we're under a tent. If it's 30 degrees, we're under a tent. You know, if it's raining, we're under a tent. If it's not rain, you, you get the idea, we're under a tent. It's, it's where we were. But as a group in an, a pretty unique situation, the prayer that we prayed together every week was this. God, reveal yourself in a way that only you get the credit for it. Because in all of the mess, because I can tell you New Orleans felt like a desert. Uh, the suicide rates had gone up. Murder rates had gone up. You wanted to get groceries. You need to, you need to probably hang out for about three hours because you're not going to get it quickly. Your church is basically down to the ground. Most homes were unlivable. It was a pretty bad space to be in. And our prayer was, Lord, you work in a way that you get the credit for it. That it is so obviously you. In this situation with Moses and the gang, he was working in a way where he was going to get the credit for it. Now Moses, unlike the others, he cries out to God. And when he did, something that was bitter became sweet. Three days, two miracles. God was very generous to this group. Is that fair? The yappers and the complainers and the gripers and the whiners... He was incredibly generous to this group. And all of this leads to God revealing something about himself through a name that he gives them in this moment. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals you. This is what it says in verse 26. It says, he says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and you keep his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord that heals you. Now the water that was diseased and toxic became usable and fresh. 
And did you know that when God gets a hold of people, he works in a very similar way. He takes people that are often broken and diseased and toxic and he makes something that is beautiful and usable and fresh out of it. What he does to water is similar to what he does to our soul. But even, and you see this in verse 25, he gives this promise, I will not put the diseases I put on the Egyptians on you. You need to be thinking the 10 plagues here. I won't put that on you. If you listen, did you catch it? Like many of the Old Testament promises to Israel, this one was conditional. God's people were required to diligently listen to the voice of the Lord. Do what is right in his eyes. Give ear to what he says. Keep his statutes. Just like you would see again in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Do that. And all of this other stuff that you just saw come down like thunder on the head of the Egyptians, that's not meant for you. Instead, when you live with me, you see healing. Where you've been experiencing brokenness, you're going to experience restoration. In fact, when scripture talks about healing, a lot of times it's talking about the sin that's related to the problem. You deal with what's going on underneath that brought about the problem and there's healing for the problem that you're experiencing. Rid the sin, then you rid the hold that the sin has on your life. And then you see this beautiful moment in verse 27. It says, and then they came to Elam. There's a lot of journey, isn't it? Then they come to Elam, where there were 12 springs and there were 70 palm trees. Some of you might say date trees. And they camped there near the water. It's quite a journey. Seems like this whole story is about the water, right? Everything's about the water. He didn't let them go to uh, get to Elam without skipping Mara. Did you see that? They're in Elam now, but you had to go through Mara, a place of bitterness first. But did you catch this as you're reading verse 27? How many springs were there out there? There were 12. How many tribes of Israel were on the journey? There were 12. How many palm trees or date trees were out there as they came into Elam? There were 70. God had Moses select 70 elders to lead Israel. How many palm trees and date trees? 70. For all of their needs, you see it represented precisely in what God gives them that meets their need. And that's the kind of prayer that we should be having to God. Lord, just meet my need and work in a way that you get the credit for it. All of Israel was cared for. All of the elders were cared for. And it, the way that it describes it, it says they came to a spring that was moving water. It wasn't just sitting there. You know what I'm talking about, anybody has been in water. If water sits long enough, it's almost like the skin forms on the top of it. It's kind of nasty. It becomes brackish. You know, it's not the kind of water that you're ever going to want to drink. Instead, it says that the water was a flowing water, which means that this water for Israel, when they came to Elam, was always fresh for them. Now, some of us, just so we know, some of us are not yet at Elam in our spiritual life because we're still stuck at Marah. We're still sitting there in the place of bitterness because we're not willing to keep on in the journey awaiting the blessing that's ahead for us. We're still stuck back there. And after the time of testing, God had a time, and this is what I love about this passage, a time of refreshing for the people of Israel. He knew exactly what they needed and he knew when to test them and he knew when to rest them. He knew. So some things that I want you to remember this morning from what this passage is trying to say to you and to me. 
and this is the first. From your Mara moments, we need to remember that they are limited in both time and intensity. Your Mara moments, the place where you're like, I am thirsty. Here's some water, but you can't drink it. It is limited in both time and intensity. It doesn't mean that your difficulty isn't real. It is. It's limited, though, in time and intensity. Remember, on the other side of Mara, because he says, if you listen to me, if you follow me, what is there? There's blessing. Remember the plagues of it? That's not for you. There's blessing as you follow me. Now let's go to Elam. Let's go. And they went. And there they experienced his provision, and it met their need. And the second thing I want you to remember this morning is I want you to trust that God prepares a time of refreshing when the bitter times are over. I promise you bitter times. I promise those to you. I also promise as you follow in with God that on the other side of bitter times are times of incredible refreshing. I find great encouragement in reading about what, about what God had in store for his people immediately after their time of testing at Marah. Then they came to Elam where they were the 12 uh, wells of water, 70 palm trees, and what'd they do? Camped out. Stop the journey. Stop walking. Hang out for a little while. Enjoy it. They got to go back to a part of God's provision that just met their, it's like cold water on a hot day, literally. And they got it. Set up a camp. Hang out here for a little while and enjoy what I've provided for you. That's what God has all along wanted to do. Now remember, this oasis wasn't needed in order to quench their thirst. This is also important to remember. They had already been refreshed at Mara. Remember what happened? Because the bitter water had been made sweet there and everyone was able to drink what they needed. The oasis that God had prepared for them just a short distance away was, a, in Louisiana, it's a lanyap, you know? It's a little something extra that's kicked in for you. That's what God had done. But the time of refreshing that follows is often so incredible, so incredible, that we don't feel the bitterness that we did before. It doesn't, that, remember, it doesn't mean that we forgot where we were. It just means that the bitterness that had a hold on us just doesn't have a hold on us anymore. Because through the experience of the God who heals and provides, you see that he was with you all along. Sometimes that time of refreshing is relatively brief, just enough to give us a time of rest and preparation for the next lessons that God wants to teach us. A little bit more squeezing that has to happen. And sometimes, let's be honest, it may be true that the time of refreshing doesn't really come until heaven. But the thing to have confidence in is that it does eventually come to you. And so I want to end with a closing thought this morning. Uh, a thought that arrested my attention some years ago. In a time where, frankly, I... What's the best way to put this? I, I don't know that I saw my need for God. Actually, I'll just say that. I didn't see my need for God. Have you ever been there before? I was perfectly content to strike out on my own. I had plans for myself. And then I remember somebody sharing something that changed my life. Our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. 
And that was, that was a turning moment for me. That was the moment where I saw something that was not a part of my life that I knew that I just couldn't live without. How about you? We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.